0: Ladies and gentlemen, people of all gender expressions, thank you for checking out the North Bank Media Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Strevens. Joining me on the show this afternoon was Ashley Melke. Ashley is the founder of the Grief and Trauma Healing Center, which is a counseling service based in Edmonton, over 20 therapists, all specializing in grief, trauma, and loss, uh, both through their own experience and their education. They offer a holistic approach um, to sending people forward in life, uh, despite the tragedies that we all face, um, to, to deal with their grief and to move forward in a, in a way that, you know, we're not devastated by those things that that are often quite devastating. Um, really enjoyed this conversation. Ashley is, is a great sort of you know, blueprint for a guest here on this show. Uh, she endured a pretty devastating loss herself and the death of her father. And be warned, she shares uh, a lot of detail on that. Um, you're given fair warning uh, both now and in the episode itself. Uh, so a trigger warning for suicide and, and that, that sort of thing, drug and alcohol addiction. Um, but so we talked a lot about that. And then we, we talked about how Ashley was able to look inside uh, in those dark moments to grieve properly through the grief recovery method and then to go forward in life having found a purpose to help others through their grief. So um, we spent a fair bit of time on that um, and about how she found that purpose and, and what, what those days were like uh, from, from the death of her father in 2010 all the way to her her, her true uh, release in 2013 and then her her uh, embarking on founding the Grief and Trauma Healing Center. Um, beyond that, really interesting discussion on what is faith uh, what is intuition, as well as just a lot of neat information from Ashley on EMDR therapy, which is eye movement desensitization and reprogramming therapy. So when we think about how trauma and 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 grief are actually held in the physical body, we can manipulate the physical body to begin to heal some of that trauma rather than just treating it on a mental level. So uh, really interesting stuff. I should say this podcast clearly is not hosted by a doctor. It does not offer medical advice. Obviously, consult a professional if you're going to undertake any therapy. But um, if you think that grief, loss, trauma has affected you in a way where you need to get some help to move forward, um, by all means, you should look into the Grief and Trauma Healing Center. All the information is in the show notes here. Um, I really enjoyed this one. It was nourishing in a lot of ways. It had some solemn moments, but it also had some, some, some heights, some uh, of of elation and and happiness as well. So what more could you really ask for? Um, I enjoyed it. I really hope you will as well. This is my conversation with Ashley Melky. Ashley Melke, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. It's great to see you uh, finally. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing about your business and your brand and your life.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Patrick. I'm really excited about this conversation.
0: Well, we had a good kind of pre-conversation on the phone. So, so far, so good, right? But we'll see what I can do about that.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Tell me a little bit then, just so everyone's aware, the Grief and Trauma Healing Center, what is kind of the elevator pitch or what is sort of the, what do you guys offer the community that nobody else really does?
1: Well, firstly, I think the name really says it all. We are the Grief and Trauma Healing Center. We specialize in grief and trauma counseling. And I think what really sets us apart is, it wasn't really a business pursuit for mm. me. It was my own personal loss ah. that really propelled me into this area of practice and led me to start the business in the first place.
0: Wonderful, because, because this show lately really loves people who are expressing themselves and, and becoming themselves through their work. So I think right off the bat, you're a great candidate to, to keep talking and I'll keep asking <laughs> questions. <laughs>
1: Thank you. So
0: what, what then, um, what does the, what is the actual service or the tangible good? Like, what is it that you were actually doing day to day over there? Is it a, is it a bricks and mortar operation or, or how's that?
1: Yeah, so we offer in-person and online services. Okay. We do serve the general population, ranging from small children, you know, three years old to the elderly population and couples and families. But we do have some specialty programs that we offer, namely our signature program, which is the grief recovery method. Okay. That's the program that changed and transformed my life after my dad died by suicide right. Right. in 2010. So that's really what we're known for at the Grief and Trauma Healing Center. And then we do have other uh, specialty therapies as well, including EMDR therapy and body-based therapies.
0: Interesting, body-based. What does that mean?
1: So it's really helping people to connect to all parts of themselves. So oftentimes we get very trapped in our heads. And I mean, let's face it, most of us are taught to intellectualize a lot of our issues. And Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to grief and trauma, so we help our clients to really tap into what they're feeling and experiencing their, in their body hmm. and learning to safely process grief and trauma through their bodies as they heal and move forward in their life.
0: That's very interesting. And we do, and, you know, if you're not in touch with your body, it's it's hard to realize that you hold so much trauma, stress, strain, whatever, physically in your, in your body and it, it can wreak havoc, I imagine.
1: Oh, absolutely. So we, we like to consider ourselves, um, sort of holistic therapists in the sense that we want to help people to connect to all parts of themselves, emotionally, Mm -hmm. physically, psychologically, spiritually.
0: Beautiful. It's a, it's a well-rounded approach. It sounds like before we go, because I'm interested in all that stuff and I want to get there, but I want to make sure we, people really understand what's going on over there. Who is it? Like your team is made up of, of how many people?
1: So we are a team of 24, I believe at this point, okay, wow. and we're continuing to grow. So we, yeah, we've had tremendous growth this last couple of years awesome. and our, our therapist, our clinical team consists of um, clinical interns that do like a seven or eight month internship with us. We have mental health therapists, mm-hmm. Canadian certified counselors, registered social workers and registered psychologists. Wow.
0: So people who are well, well trained and well versed and helping people through these, these, these issues.
1: Yes. And one thing that's really important to me as the founder of this organization is that anyone who joins our team really has to, to have a special desire to serve grieving people. Hmm. And one question that we explore in our interview process is, you know, how has loss impacted your life? Right. And you know, what is it about your personal experiences that motivates you to want to serve others? And um, that's really the culture that we have established at the Grief and Trauma Healing Center. And I think something that really sets us apart. Okay. So if you're a client, you know that you're not just sitting with someone who had really good grades in school and wrote an exam and got a designation. You're sitting with a human being uh. who has experienced similar pain mm-hmm. that you are going through.
0: Now, is that, is that a hard question to broach in a job interview, asking someone if they're, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, or do they willingly share that? Or how does that work?
1: Well, my hope is that it would be almost like an expectation if gotcha. they know anything about me or or the company that sure. leading with vulnerability and sharing our stories is mm-hmm. really a part of who we are. So quite honestly, people are very forthright and open about their experiences mm-hmm. and, that helps us to make those decisions, um, in terms of whether they're the right fit or not. I got you.
0: I got you. Well, okay. I'll take your word for that. I, but I mean, cause it's tough, right? And maybe, maybe people who are interested in healing and interested in the science of grief are more willing to share uh, about their own grief. Right. And whereas other people maybe not so much, so they wouldn't go down that road.
1: Oh, exactly. Like I truly believe the culture and the brand of who we are attracts a certain type of person. And, you know, what I love about our team is we do have a lot of diversity and we have people that are very different. We look different. We have different backgrounds and ethnicities and religions and cultures. But the one parallel thread that connects us is our experience of loss and our desire to serve. And that's what really just motivates me and inspires me every day as we continue to build our company. Mm
0: So do you maybe want to tell me about, was there a Eureka moment or a moment where you sort of stopped and said, this is what I need to do? Like, where were you, where were you before? And then did it, was it just you that started doing this alone and you built out from there? Or what was kind of that, that seed, that mustard seed kind of moment?
1: Yes, that's a really great question. And I'm excited to share my story. So I guess the impetus of how this all came to be was when I went through the grief recovery method program in 2013. When I completed that program, the very next day, I started the Grief and Trauma Healing Center. Like wow. That is how <laughs> profound of an experience it was for me. And I, at that point, I was just newly registered as a psychologist um, and felt very called in that moment that mm-hmm. I have to bring this to the community mm-hmm. and I know nothing about business, <laughs> but I don't care. Nice. I'm here to serve. I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so honestly, I set out on a path that day and just literally figured it out as I went along. And that is what, I guess that's honestly how I've built my business from the very beginning, which was almost nine years ago now.
0: Hey, well, congratulations, because really it seems like the universe rewards people who just start going, you know, and and kind of getting, I mean, that's not always great advice, but there is something to be said for just... I mean, you were so pulled, you were so called, like you said that you you had to do it and figure it out as you went. Is that accurate?
1: Oh, exactly. And there's one quote that I heard along my journey from Dr. Brene Brown, and she said, "You have to fly. You have to build the plane while you're flying it." And
0: as long as you're that not a, just sorry, as long as you're not a pilot, I would say that's probably.
1: Yeah, correct.
0: Sorry to cut It is you a know. great
1: metaphor <laughs> for building a business not flying an actual plane. So that is honestly how I've done things right since on. day 1 and I would say what has been absolutely key to our success and growth has been holding on to the why and the purpose nice. that I ha- that I had in my heart since day 1 and staying connected to that purpose which is we're here to serve and we want to equip people with the tools to heal from loss and reach as many people as we can. And, um, yeah, that's what brings us to where we are today.
0: That's beautiful. I I guess I, I would like to give you a moment to, to speak if you would on, on the situation that you had personally, or you don't have to, but would you like to maybe just to catch the listeners up on truly what happened in your life that led you down this path?
1: Yes, I would love to. So There's a lot of loss and trauma that I've faced throughout my life, Mm. Um, but the most significant loss was my dad's death by suicide in 2010. So I'm taking you back a couple of years. My dad was sober for five years, and then he relapsed into alcohol and cocaine addiction. That was Mm. 2009. My dad was a very impulsive alcoholic and drug user, Mm. and I have memories from as early as four or five years old, seeing him drunk and witnessing a lot of traumatic events. And so when he relapsed, I literally felt when he told me that it was almost like he had a terminal illness and he wasn't going to survive this relapse.
0: He told you that.
1: That is the feeling I had when he told me that he had relapsed. So it was like, I can't even describe the terror and fear that I felt that he, there's no way he's going to survive this time. Right. And so it was a year and a half of absolute hell watching him self-destruct and, you know, try to get sober, go back to meetings. He was an AA and NA mm-hmm. um, and on and off the wagon. And he would go on benders for a week at a time. I didn't know if he was dead or alive, Patrick, like this cloud, this black yeah. cloud yeah. hung over me every single day. And then the last time I saw my dad, we went out for dinner for his 45th birthday. We went to Montana's. And after I said, we should go to a meeting, like I'll go to a meeting with you. And he said, sure. So we went to an AA meeting. He was three days sober. And I started to cry in the meeting. And I just like bawled throughout this meeting with this feeling that I had lost my dad and I just knew he wasn't present. He didn't want to be there. I don't think he really cared to be there, except to try to maybe appease me. Right. And so a couple of weeks later, I called him and told him I couldn't have him in my life anymore, that it was killing me to watch him slowly die. And it was two months later, November 26, 2010, when I got the call from his fiance that he this is a bit of a trigger warning. If anyone wants to like skip over the next 20 seconds. Um, or step away, Um, he had gone to take a shower and after about 20 minutes, she went to check on him and he had taken a a razor blade from an X-Acto knife and cut his arm, a a major artery on his arm. Mm. So by the time she found him, it was already too late. And I found out when I went to the hospital where they had transported him and that's where they gave me the news that he didn't make it.
0: Well, I thank you for sharing that. That can't have been easy. And now to go forward from there, I would like to think for a moment about my own grief. And can you describe maybe your immediate two, three days after that? Because my memory of, of some grieving moments was, it's a shock thing, right? And it almost, it almost hit me and then went through me and it didn't hit me till later. Does that seem... So where'd you go from from there, like in the next 48 hours?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. I remember feeling like immediately numb, but I I remember very vividly this like tunnel vision feeling Mm. like the walls were closing in on me and everything was getting very small. Mm. And when I saw my dad laying in the hospital bed, it eventually hit me what had happened, I think on some level. And I cried and I wept in the room. And then I had this immediate reaction to want to leave. I was like, I have to go. I was a graduate student. I was in my second year my master's degree. I was like, I have schoolwork to do, which I thought as I reflect back is a really interesting response. But I think it's also cultural that I have to keep busy. I've got to put myself into work. I've got to just like plow through this. And honestly, that's what I did. I was like, how can I not feel the terror and devastation and isolation and pain that I'm feeling and school was a really easy way to escape. And so, and I heard a lot of messages from people around me shockingly Mm. that really reinforced that behavior. Like you have to keep busy and you're so strong. You'll get through this. Like Mm. your dad's in a better place. Don't feel bad. Right. All these messages that I'm like, this isn't emotionally helpful, but I guess these people must know what they're talking about. (laughs) Wow. So I took their advice and that is honestly how I tried to live my life is how can I just avoid the pain of this loss as long as I can until eventually I had to deal with it.
0: Right. And it was about three years that you truly felt like you dealt with it through the program.
1: Yeah. So three years later, when I went through the program, I realized how much unresolved um, grief I had in my relationship with my dad that I really hadn't grieved in the most healthy, effective way. And, and I think my grieving journey really began at that point was three years after he died, where I really gave myself permission to feel and talk about it. Mm -hmm. And sharing my story was incredibly healing for me.
0: I imagine, I imagine because you have to work through that. I'm really curious about the way in which like, is your understanding of the psychology or, or that when we grieve, like is grief some, grieving some kind of self-preservation thing? Like you say, like you immediately decided, well, I have to keep busy. I have to move, keep going. Like, do you know about like maybe the evolutionary, t- you know, behaviors behind that and why we react that way?
1: Well, for many, many generations, we've been taught in our culture that sad feelings are not to be shared or communicated with others. We're taught from a very young age to suck it up and get over it and move on. Mm -hmm. So if this is what we're hearing from, you know, the day we're born, by the time we're a little bit older, we've become so practiced Mm -hmm. at avoiding and minimizing and distracting ourselves from our painful feelings. So I did exactly what I was taught to do, like so many grieving people, We try to intellectualize our way through it. We try to avoid the feelings of it and try to find ways around it. But the reality is, and I guess the bad news is, we do have to feel our feelings in order to heal and move forward.
0: Yeah, that's that's for sure. Is you got to go in and do the deep work of? Well, it's I'm not sure how to put it into words. I guess, but was there a journey? Was that a part of your journey, like journaling or or, or any kind of I guess talk therapy? Obviously, but like what it's like going inside and like shining light and then putting the pieces back into order? Or how do you look at that?
1: So after I went through the program, which is a very action-oriented program, so there's a lot Mm. of actionable steps you take, like that really set a new foundation for me and sort of propelled me. So when I started the Grief and Trauma Healing Center, I then, as a certified grief recovery specialist, started to help others using that method. And that was hugely beneficial to my own journey, Mm -hmm. was like, now Mm -hmm. I can be of service to others and I can take this horrific experience and use it for good in the world. And that, I mean, over the years, since I was certified in 2013, Mm -hmm. has been just, I mean, honestly, one of the greatest gifts of my life is being of service to other grieving people.
0: And is that, and so, and I don't know, I don't know anything about the 12 steps, but I wonder, is that, is this, method that you're talking about too, is that sort of final step in your own grief to go ahead and and serve the community? Is that kind of the final form or did that just happen organically?
1: I would say, well, it's definitely not a part of the program. It just happened organically. And I identify as a faith-based person. I'm a Christian. So I see it as in the big picture that God was really using this experience to now, um, shape me and um do his work in this world so be his hands and his feet and serve people and love people through their grief and I wouldn't be doing this work had my dad not died. Hmm. And wow. like you know I can say today I'm not grateful that my dad died. Obviously I would take him back in a heartbeat. But what I'm grateful for is The experience of going through that suffering and how that really expanded my heart and my soul in a new way, um, to be able to help others.
0: Well, that's huge. I mean, to be able to be grateful for your suffering is—I mean, that's not easy. I mean, that's that's. Did you? Was there a moment where you felt that, or like, were you bitter? Because when I think about my own grief, there was a definitely a bitter phase. You know, and I felt like, oh, I was ripped off. The world was ripped off. You know but was there a transformational moment that way?
1: I would I absolutely agree with what you're saying. I absolutely felt that way for many many years while I was living through my dad's addiction. Mm. Was why me? Why do I have to go through this? Why my dad? Can't I just have a quote-unquote normal life? Mm. And then when he died, I very much felt robbed. I was angry. I felt it for me, it was the ultimate abandonment. My dad left our family when I was six years old. There were multiple times where I, where I felt abandoned in our relationship, and then he died by suicide. So I was angry, I was hurt. I was felt unloved, all of these things, Patrick. And then, when I went through the program, that was, um like I said, really a transformational moment for me in, Reconciling my relationship with my dad, seeing the good, like seeing the good, the bad, the ugly, and deciding that I'm going to say goodbye to the pain of the relationship. I cannot change it and take all the good stuff forward and find what is the meaning and purpose in all of this for me. And then over time, I guess through helping others and just more healing on my part, really discovering that, wow, this is actually a part of my life's purpose was going through all of this. And what a gift it is for me today to be able to help other people and truly grasp their experience because I've been there too.
0: It's interesting because now I'm curious about where you were on the path of life, maybe, or or, or I guess your dad's um, impact on your life was kind of permanent, like from day one. Is that kind of fair to say? What I'm, what I'm getting at is like, did what was your purpose before your dad's suicide and your journey down this road like what i like to talk about on the show a lot of the time is people who find meaning within themselves instead of having it now it's interesting because you're christian so there's some values being sort of instructed to you which is fine but d- i mean do you see yourself obviously you see yourself as a better person having gone through this but uh, were you a lesser person before this or or is that not the right way to look at it it's probably not but smaller maybe <laughs>
1: Well, I was very young. I was 23 when he died. So I was still figuring out who I was, right. what my path was. I was in graduate school. So I was very just immersed in schoolwork and really focused just academically. So I, and to be honest, I'm not even sure I even had really a thought about what does it mean to have a purpose or a calling mm, in life? Interesting. Um. And I was just very like achievement driven, which was, I think also how I survived so much of my life. Hmm. So much of my childhood experiences is if I can be a top athlete, a top academic, I can be the best at what I'm committing to, then at least that gives me some sense of, I guess, purpose, Hmm. some sense of self-worth. And that was really what I was living through at that
0: point. Right. That's interesting. So it's, so did you feel like I, i'm just i'm so struck on on moments in the in the grieving path but it is it is it is a fluid lifelong like are you still grieving your dad in a sense or 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 how do you tell your your patients your clients to deal with that like does the grief process end or or does it just you build it in or
1: Yeah. It's such a great question. Everybody's experience is unique, but I think absolutely we continue to grieve losses in our relationships with loved ones who've died. Mm -hmm. So I was 23 when he died. I'm 35 now. There's so much life that my dad has missed out on and he will continue to miss out on it. I've missed out on having a relationship with him. Like my dad is 45 years old in my mind forever. And so grieving the loss of hope dreams, and expectations is an ongoing thing. And how I, how I address that and how I encourage others to address that is to talk about it and feel it when it comes up. So I have a five-year-old son and I've wept over the, the loss of dream of my dad being a grandpa and him knowing my dad, and so there's grief around that. Now, with that said, I don't feel pain when I think of my dad. Okay. That's the part that was healed. There's no pain. I don't feel. Um, I don't feel like you know. I need to avoid talking about it or feeling or run away from it like I used to. Mm-hmm. I can just hold it, talk about it, and feel it, and then let it pass.
0: That's very interesting. So just to get you caught up, when I was 21, maybe I told you this on the phone. When I was 21, my best friend passed away unexpectedly. So that was 11 years ago. And one thing that struck me at that time was something that I think about still is how grief is sort of impure in a sense. Like you never get that pure release of letting the person go. It's more just like, well, it brings up so many other feelings. Like I regretted so many things that I did or didn't do, right? And so then about a year later, the family dog died. Same thing. It's like, well, could, you know, like you couldn't just let him go. It was like, well, could we have done different? Could we have, did we do enough? Now, not to, not to pile it on here, but then a few years ago, a cousin of mine passed away. Same age as me, passed away with a heart attack. I may have to clip that, but we'll see what my parents say. (laughs) But point being, point being, same thing. Then it brought up like survivor's guilt. We're the same age, right? Or, Or just, he went down a different path than I did? Could I have? So I guess what I'd like to ask you is, is that a common thread in this? Grief is a a monstrous thing and we almost can't process it in one shot. And it may take a lifetime to process. Because just to finish, sometimes my best friend Jeff, uh, when I was 21, passed away. Sometimes even today or yesterday, I find myself speaking out loud as if I was talking to him. Like, I don't think I'm fully processed yet. Um, as, as you seem to be a little bit further along with your dad, so I guess this is not a question, but it's a statement, so i'll I'll finish and let you pick up.
1: Yeah, and thank you for sharing. and um yeah, I'm really sorry to hear about the loss of your best friend and your cousin and dog and other <laughs> losses. and we all have mm-hmm. a lost story. For sure. The relationship continues forever. Mm-hmm. Even when someone dies, like emotionally, you're going to have a relationship with your best friend forever. And then whatever happens after death, that's according to your belief system, whether or not you see him again or whatever that looks like for you. Mm -hmm. And that's why we continue to have dialogue and communication with them. And we have feelings and we think about them and we miss them. But there is something you brought up that I want to acknowledge, which is what we call in the grief recovery world, emotional incompleteness. Uh. So emotional incompleteness is all of the undelivered communications of an emotional nature that fall under six categories. Things we wish were better, Hmm. different or more, and the loss of hope, dreams, and expectations. So it's only natural for us to review a relationship when someone dies or any other circumstance like a divorce or a breakup uh, where we start to say, here are the things I wish I would have done, or here are the things I regret. Hmm. Here are the things I'm going to miss the most. And what we help people do with the program, our clients is help them to discover all of those things Uh so we can communicate them and we don't have to carry them inside for the rest of our life so that we can actually grieve effectively and continue to move forward and integrate what's happened into the life that we're continuing to live.
0: Integrate is the right word. And now Zoom is telling me that (laughs) it might kick me out in 10 minutes. But if that's the case, I'll just send you another meeting link and I'll. Anyway, too cheap to pay for premium Zoom, I guess. (laughs) Oh, God. Patrick. I know. Professional? Hardly. So I don't know. I was doing one on one meetings for the longest time, but whatever. Anyway, I like what you're saying. It's emotional incompleteness and that. I guess I'm still very curious about how grief works in the mind. Like, is that a, well, it's, it's the biggest thing I think in some ways, right? Like it it opens up, it almost turns you inside out, you know? So I'm curious, like maybe if someone's listening, what are some strategies, like some early without giving away your program for free, but what are some kind of early things? Like even for me now, 20, 10 years down the line, are there some like practical steps that people are missing out on that they could simply do?
1: I think the biggest thing and the most challenging thing that we can offer to ourselves when we're grieving is permission to feel our feelings. Ah. That is actually so much harder to do than we think Mm. because we quickly want to skip over feelings. We'll feel a lump in our throat and then we swallow it and push it down. Right. right? The tears start to come up and then we quickly distract ourselves and we do something to avoid it. Mm -hmm. And we really just need to allow ourselves to cry those tears and feel those feelings. And if there's one person in your life that you trust to share that with, maybe it's a best friend or a sibling, or maybe it's your therapist Mm -hmm. to say, this is how I'm feeling. This is how hard it's been. And just talk about it and be open about it. Like when we don't feel those feelings, we become the storage tank Mm. for feelings And grief is cumulative and it just continues to build and build Mm. and build until we decide to address it. So we need to stop running from our feelings. Right. I would say that's like number one. And number two, I kind of already said this, like really reaching out to someone you trust. And if you don't have someone in your life, reaching out to a professional, like someone like us, it is shocking how many people say to us, there isn't anyone in my life that I trust to talk to. And we're so grateful that we can be a safe place for them to share. Um, Of course, pick up the grief recovery handbook. It's $20 on Amazon. Like for sure, order the grief recovery handbook, pick up the book, read it, see how you feel about it. It's actually a program you can walk through on your own. So the resources are available. Um, I would say those are my top three.
0: Okay. Well, that's wonderful. We're going to clip that so people can get started on that. Stop running from your feelings could be, could well be the title of this episode, but it's definitely good advice in any aspect, grief or even happiness, you know, allow allow yourself to feel when you succeed too.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like, I think we just have such a discomfort with profound feelings, including suffering and joy, because we're always worried that this is going to end and when's the next shoe going to drop? When it comes to joy and with suffering, it's like, this is just too uncomfortable. How can I escape it? But what I've learned on my journey, Patrick, and I know Dr. Brené Brown talks about this, that like giving myself permission to feel the depths of my suffering Mm -hmm. has really allowed me to feel the heights of my joy and gratitude and presence. And without going there, I wouldn't feel the passion and enthusiasm that I do feel about life. I just, I know that because it's who I am today and it's not who I was before.
0: Now that's magnificent. And it's, sometimes that's a feeling that I get myself as well. I'm glad to hear somebody else say, or it's like, you know, you could have been dealt a much worse hand actually, but also you needed to, to go through what you went through to appreciate even the simplicity of life too, at times, right? Like, just the fact that we're alive on this beautiful day, I mean, having that that, that suffering behind it makes it what it is.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I had a meeting a session with my spiritual director today, which is, he's like my therapist and we meet mm-hmm. monthly. And we had this conversation today about how sorrow is actually a really beautiful gift that we experience as human beings. And it's sorrow and suffering that expands our hearts. And helps us to feel compassion and love for others. And I think invites us to a deeper purpose in life, whatever that is. For me, it's being of service to other grieving people. Um, for someone else, I might be advocating for sure. some change in the law. I don't know. Um, but I think it is really an invitation to to um, deeper meaning in life.
0: Now you said something interesting a little bit ago about how people come and say they don't have anybody they trust to talk about their grief a what the hell is going on there? Well, yeah, that's the question is what's what's up with that? Like is this common where people are socially isolated? Yeah, and even forget the last 2 years just in generally where they they what or is it or is it more on then that it's like yeah, you know, that person would listen if you just tried a little harder.
1: I think it's both. Going back to this this cultural narrative around this idea that we grieve alone. We don't share our sad feelings. We don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. We really lack, I would say, emotional literacy mm-hmm. on how to talk about grief and how to help other people with their grief. If I've never been taught how to feel my feelings, how to grieve, how to talk about it, how can I help you? Right. I can't give what I don't have. So I might see you suffering and I love you and I care about you, but I, don't not, I don't know what the hell to do. I don't know what to say. And so I'm just going to leave you alone with your grief, but if you need anything, you can call me. (laughs) And this is, this is the dance that people do with grief. And so then we feel isolated as the griever. We're afraid to reach out. Somebody says some judgmental or intellectual thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to talk about it. And I think it's not because people are um, ill-intentioned. They are well-meaning. They've just haven't been given the tools. That's the issue. We need to be better equipped as a society. We need this education Mm. in early childhood. We need this in schools. We need to have this as a course that children take every year on how we deal with loss in life, because the truth is loss is inevitable, whatever it may be beyond death. And yet it's not a conversation we're having.
0: Now that's very interesting. I like what you're saying about this idea of, of us not as a, you know, society being given the tools to grieve, uh, or, or to process loss, I guess. Is that, now, is that common then when these, like, could you say, is there a commonality among people that come to you guys where it's like, that's the issue? Like, I realize I can't do this alone. Like, can we even process grief alone? Probably not is what you've been saying. But is that the issue then people just throw their hands up and say, I'm beat.
1: Yes, I would say that is really the commonality is what I've been doing isn't working. Right. It may be working temporarily, it may be working to a point, but it's not giving me long-term relief from the pain. So they'll often come in and say, I've tried this, I've tried that, I've gone here, I've done this, and I still feel the pain of this loss. Mm. And often too, there, there is trauma associated to their grief. So there may be a part of the experience that's really become trapped hmm. that they need to process as well. So fortunately we have the tools to be able to support all parts of their experience nice. and really honor the uniqueness of their experience. Um, oh, what were you saying earlier, Patrick, oh, when God. you were talking, I'm like, Hey, there's something else I wanted to <laughs> speak to. Um, I can't remember. Uh, Sorry.
0: Damn, too bad. Well, it's okay. I, that happens to me all the time. It's going to happen right now again as I begin to speak again. <laughs> um I guess <laughs> See, look, now now it, it did happen. It wasn't gonna and it's it's going to. Um I guess I did want to get onto trauma a little bit too as a as a phenomenon. So are you dealing with people who are in some other ways traumatized beyond other than grief?
1: Yeah. So, wh- how we How we frame grief and trauma is at the root of the experience is some form of loss. Right. So it might be a loss of safety, a loss of trust, a loss of control, a loss of life, a loss of lifestyle, a loss of health. So that is how we really normalize and humanize the experience Mm. without really categorizing it necessarily and then when we look at someone's experience we can determine what the best form of action is based on what they're looking for and in collaboration with their therapist so
0: okay let's talk about how grief traumatizes and obviously it's a loss is it accurate to say that that when you're when you're traumatized by grief you're in some ways stuck in the moment where it happens is That was always my understanding of trauma. It wasn't lost, but it was more of a freezing. It was more of a, you know, like you're petrified, literally maybe, or spiritually.
1: Yes, absolutely. Any experience where there's terror attached to that experience can be a traumatic event for someone. And the interesting thing about trauma is what may be traumatic for you may not be for me. Mm -hmm. It's about how I perceived the experience that Mm. creates the trauma. So we may have gone through the same thing, but how I processed it may look very different from you. Mm. And often in that moment, the emotional experience, the physical experience, the sight, sound, smells, everything captured in our senses becomes trapped in that moment. And it's not able to integrate into our memory bank. Mm like a regular memory. So the way I like to talk about, say, a traumatic event versus a normal event is using the analogy of a filing cabinet. Okay. So when you open up a filing cabinet, you have all these beautifully organized files, just like our memories, the way that they're stored. So you can pull out a memory, you can talk about it, remember it, feel it, and then you can put it back in and close the filing cabinet. With trauma... It's like a piece of paper that's sticking out and it won't file away. It's crumpled, it's ripped, it's torn, Interesting. and you're not able to file it away like a regular memory. So the hope is through various trauma therapies like EMDR or other body-based approaches, mm-hmm. you help the brain to integrate and digest the experience like a normal memory in a safe and calm body. Hmm. EMDR is beautiful for processing trauma because it allows the emotional part of the brain to digest and heal that memory. It's always going to be a memory, but heal the pain and the, um, the sensory experience of it while distracting the cognitive brain. Uh-huh. And we don't know why it works. This is the phenomena of EMDR, but we know it works. And it's really an incredible method of therapy. If, if anyone's done EMDR out there, they know it is incredible and it works very quickly.
0: Interesting. And so can you, what does EMDR stand for? First of all,
1: eye movement, desensitization oh. and reprocessing.
0: I've heard of this. I've heard someone had a lot of luck with that actually. So that's, that's phenomenal stuff.
1: Now yes. what, what the
0: hell is going on there? What so, a terrible question. For, sorry.
1: So with EMDR, Please. what we help a client or an individual to do is really identify the negative core belief associated to that traumatic event. Okay. So for me, using the example of my dad's death, the the core beliefs, I'd say there's a few of them for sure, would be like, I am abandoned. I am unlovable. Okay. And that becomes the belief that's attached to this event that causes triggers and pain for me moving forward, and also creates and impacts. I would say impacts how I show up in relationships, the fears that drive me, and the decisions I make. And because I'm not, I wasn't able to process this event like a normal experience. So by identifying the negative belief, the feelings I had when he died, um, where I felt that in my body, and a more adaptive belief, like I am lovable, I am good enough regardless of the experiences that happened to me, Hmm. I I can then associate that positive core belief with the event and see it as just something that's happened in my life, but it's not the thing that defines my life or who I am.
0: Interesting. And I was,
1: and then, then, sorry, go ahead. No,
0: please, please.
1: Um, Then we, once we establish this foundation and we set them up with safety and stabilization tools, which is really the preliminary part of EMDR. We know that they're capable of staying safe, Mm. um, safe in their bodies. Then we start the processing where we actually bring up the traumatic event, Mm. the worst part of the event, and we feel it and we allow them to go there by using bilateral stimulation. So that could be hand movement, following hand movement. I use these little buzzies that Mm. buzz back and forth. Okay. And that bilateral stimulation distracts your brain from sort of intellectualizing the event and then emotionally allows you to heal.
0: Now, that's pretty cool. Don't you think? Like that, that's oh, Because you see the results.
1: It's incredible. And I have watched my clients heal from the worst experience of their life. For example, a client who her partner, her ex-partner from years ago, was going to kill her and he had a a knife to her throat and she believed i am going to die right and this trauma from years ago was still causing pain we cleared that event in one hour what yes (laughs) this is like magic it's literally like magic (laughs) and i I do want to say that right every everyone's experience is different and for some it just doesn't work And that's fine. There's other approaches, but for many people, it really is a highly effective tool to quickly move through. And the bonus is you don't have to talk about the event. There's no talking. It's not talk therapy. So let's just say for someone who's experienced child sexual abuse, and it's an event that brings up a lot of shame and discomfort, understandably, they don't want to talk about the details of the event, but they want to heal from it. They can do that without sharing the details, which is so powerful.
0: Now, but do they need to think about it?
1: Yes, they still have to bring it up. They still have to bring it to mind and feel the feelings they have when they think about that event. But they don't have to share what happened. Wow.
0: See, now this is interesting in the way in which the physical and the mental are linked. And I am no doctor. I have a degree in film studies, which... (laughs) say what you will about that. But my point is that I have I seem to have learned a lot about this just through myself. And I had a guy on the podcast, it's been a month since I did one, a month ago, and he talked, and the first thing he told me was to start being more aware of my breathing, breathing from the diaphragm, you know, deep breaths in, out, mindful of the breathing. The last month has completely changed the way I live. Like, my mind and my body are more in harmony now than ever before. And that's allowed me actually to go in and start doing some more work because the work never stops when you're kind of reprocessing your trauma. But is this is that maybe the missing link in some ways of all these ills in our in our world today? Maybe is people that are in some ways out of touch with themselves. I, that's would be my guess, or at least that's part of the problem.
1: I would agree. I think there's so many competing priorities and distractions. Right. We're so distracted as a culture. And when we wake up and we've got 10,000 things mm-hmm. competing for space in our life, right. it's really hard to tune into what's happening for us physically, emotionally, spiritually. And we just end up making decisions and living our life based on whatever distraction has our attention today. Hmm. I truly believe that.
0: And is that, so then EMDR in some ways is is kind of that because you're, you're because this fellow that I had on, his name was Jahan, he talked about subconscious reprogramming and, and breathing is where that starts, right? But it's it's almost like you have to, because so much is going on in the background, right? In the subconscious, trillions of bits of information he claimed, whereas the conscious mind is just kind of at the mercy of that. So is that, EMDR is kind of fits with that, it sounds like, where you you have to absolutely bypass that mechanism.
1: Yes, absolutely. Like you really have to bring to your awareness these experiences that have impacted you. You right. can't avoid them. You, you have to address them. Like that is the only way. And EMDR is just one of those ways of doing that. And I'd say grief recovery as well. Like we have to, the classic one-liner, I can't remember who, what psychologist said this. Um, they said, you have to feel it to heal it. and it's so simple yet so profound and so hard all at the same time you have to feel it to heal it
0: god i mean that i mean we could just stop now but we're gonna keep going (laughs) you have to feel it to heal it now that seems because this is what i've been thinking about too lately and tell me what you think about it is like we take in all this stuff informational wise like through the news through this conversation all of this is going inside of us and, and and sort of building us like a mosaic from the inside, right? It's like, if I'm taking in all this information about war, if I'm taking in all this hate from social media, I am feeling it with almost subconsciously too. And it it can come out in fear in, in you know what I'm saying? So is this something that you can impress upon your clients, your patients to, to be, Help me here, like to all of this stuff has gone inside you and it's in there, and you have to live with that period, but you you have to go in there and do something about it.
1: yes, and I think a big piece of that in making new choices is being really intentional mm-hmm. about what you allow in. So whether that is social media, the news, that also extends to people and relationships and other experiences. Yeah, we get to choose. What we listen to, who we listen to, and what we allow to take up time, energy, and space in our life. So living with intention can be really helpful in quieting the noise, in really connecting to yourself, in processing your experiences, and I'd say just living more presently.
0: That's a great word. Intentional, aware, and present. But now it seems like it's hard to do that these days. And I don't know if it was any easier a hundred years ago, but I don't know. I mean, because we're always on the lookout for something that could harm us, right? Or or something that could help us. Like we're always making value judgments. And it seems like so much of the human perception is, is out and away, right? from From the self. And it seems like very Eastern in a way. I know nothing about Eastern philosophy, but to turn and look inwards and it's all actually right in there. Like now we might differ. You're a Christian. I'm not. To me, I think, my relation, or, or not. My relationship with God is very much in here. I don't see him necessarily as external to me. I communicate th- to him through me, but what I see is a pandemic of, of, of folks. And I've been there myself where it's like, everything is outside of me and I'm seeking to somehow heal myself from, from outside in when really the healing is inside out.
1: I totally agree with you. And I think that is the, like the spiritual part of us. Right. which is it's that internal journey of figuring out what that is, if that's God or universe or some other belief system that works through us right. um, to find healing and to find peace and contentment in life. But I think that's a huge part of ourselves that's missing in the world. We don't really talk about that. That's not popular. Mm-hmm. It's, And that's where the distraction comes in and takes us away from connecting to ourselves. So, From the moment you wake up in the morning, like for someone listening, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? Is it grab your smartphone and start scrolling on Instagram? Horrendous. Right. What is the first thing you do when you wake up and how can you change that small habit so you're more present in this moment and connected to yourself? You know, what do you do before bed? Like, just stop and be mindful. Like, what are you doing in those moments where you can pause and like ground and come back to yourself.
0: That's, that's absolutely it. And you know, you mentioned the smartphone, it's like, that's gotta be the number one device that is in some ways ruined our, ruined us as a species, right? Like we now don't have to be mindful and I can get all this whatever. And and again, some of it's good. Like there's good, positive content out there. You could spend some time scrolling Instagram and feel okay about life, but on the whole, it really seems like maybe that's where the mindfulness went, was into the phone. There's my mind. (laughs) You know?
1: Exactly. And it's like, how do you feel after you're scrolling on Instagram? What are you getting out of that experience? Is it just a numbing Hmm. behavior? Which I think for a lot of us, it is a way to numb out and avoid and not deal with the stressors of life. Which, yeah, we all have those things that we turn to, mm-hmm. but we do have to practice more intention on how can I actually deal with things in my life, address them, and find what really makes us feel alive.
0: That's absolutely right.
1: Yes. And like that's been my journey, I would say, like definitely this last couple of years is really connecting to that aliveness, which for me is really where. Um, with my belief system, really Jesus delights in me and I in him Hmm. is like when I'm alive and when I'm a light in this world and when I'm helping people and even when I'm having childlike fun. (laughs) And that's sort of like, you know, where I'm at today and it's been really exciting. Um, Yeah.
0: That's nice. It's fun to think that Jesus is delighted in you. (laughs) That that makes life a lot more fun to think that he's up there just like giddily laughing at you as you I don't know what you like to do in your spare time, but play with your son maybe.
1: Yes. And in December, I pursued a childhood dream of becoming a hockey player. No way. Yes. So I was an athlete growing up and I played every sport and I played competitive sports, but that was the one sport my mom could not afford to put me in. Okay. And I wanted to play when I was five years old. So in December, I had this thought to look for an adult beginner hockey program, found one, they do exist, signed up th- that day and nice. I've nice. been playing for five months now. And I'm like, honestly, the happiest I've been in years because I found something that makes me feel alive and free and that has no outcome attached to it. And how often do we have those experiences as adults?
0: Well, not enough, but that might be part of the problem. Hockey is a beautiful game. I don't play it enough my like ice hockey. I don't play it enough myself, but now what is it is it the motion or it's everything I suppose, right? But
1: being a 35 years old and starting something new. There you go. And not being just that young athlete where that's just what you do when you're, you know, 10 years old or 15 years old. There's something really special about that and trying something new and pursuing a childhood dream. Right. And then living it out and having the gear on and playing and actually being a good hockey player. Not oh, yeah. quite as good as McDavid. Well, maybe one day. Hey, um, it could
0: happen. <laughs> keep trying. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but just having so much fun, playing this amazing sport, getting an awesome workout, and being a part of a team again. Right. It's just – its yeah, it's been brilliant.
0: It's all right there. That's pretty cool. Yeah, go Oilers. <laughs> it's May twenty-six, and they're in Calgary tonight, and it's – well – it's looking good. Let's say that
1: they're going to take it home tonight. I have a good feeling.
0: Me too. I mean, Calgary looked completely useless the other night. They looked scared. I everyone said Calgary was tough. It's like I don't know.
1: Yeah, I, know. I think they are. They are definitely terrified. They <laughs> they have to win tonight. They have to.
0: Back against, or else the world. that's it. Yeah. Well, we're going to stop talking about that because we don't want to jinx anything. I'm super superstitious, by the way
1: see i am the person who calls out everything in the game and everyone gets mad at me but i'm like i have such a good intuition i know i'm right Ah. and so i just (laughs) i like that i just put it out there tonight they're winning end of story
0: Uh, end of story i did that myself with game seven it was like there's no question against la these guys it's over but yes we're stopping now still can you tell me about intuition a little bit? I spoke with someone uh, about a month ago about the idea of intuition. And to me, it's magic. It's, it's a form of magic that exists in our in our mind. Uh, she, she went to the idea of the guilty conscience. And she said that intuition leads to... Like, my idea was that you know, you really do know what you need to do, period. If Now, if you're more mindful then you really know, if you are not so mindful and you're in the phone, social media, Netflix... Haze pornography is part of that too, where you just you're, you're stripped of yourself. I don't know where I was going. My question about intuition was: Is it magic? Is it real? How does it work? You know, like can we harness it maybe to live a better life?
1: One hundred percent. I think intuition is a, it's like a superpower, right? That is really underused, if that's a word. That It's that knowing without knowing, and we all have it, right. but I think at some point we learn to question it, and we we learn to intellectualize everything and make decisions based on our head only, because that's what we're taught, is right. you don't make a decision based on a feeling or a sense. You have to make a decision based on logic. mm
0: mm-hmm.
1: But yet so many of us make these decisions based on logic and we feel like it's wrong and it ends up being a disaster in the end and i think that's why so many people end up getting divorced
0: mm. they <laughs> knew could be 50 don't they say
1: yes they knew one or both partners knew that it wasn't right that it didn't feel right but for all the intellectual reasons I'm going to move forward with this. Right. That could also be a career decision. Yeah. So many decisions we make, we know they didn't feel right, but we really neglect that part of us. And I'm all about celebrating intuition. And like when people ask me about how I've grown my business and how I've made decisions, it's always about intuition. For me, it's God's peace. That's right. what I call it. Sure. If I have God's peace in the decision, I know it's right. If I don't, I know it's not for me and I don't even have to understand it. It's a, it's an understanding that is beyond my capacity. Hmm. And I, I just think that it's a part of us that we need to turn to. It is that. To, yeah. And to like live a more fulfilled, aligned, peaceful life.
0: You are the frame of reference for your life, right? Like you listen to that intuition and people might say, oh, well, this is, this is woo woo. This is out of left field. Some kind of garbage magic beans or whatever. But and it's not impulsivity either, is it? It's not. It's not just acting. It's it's actually taking the time to think. But you can practice it. I would say, like sometimes I, when I go for a walk at night, I say, which way am I going to go? I go the first way that comes to mind. It doesn't fucking matter. Excuse my language. It does not matter which way I walk around my neighborhood. But it's a practicing thing, and it, it reinforces that intuition. I thought it, and I did it. And I didn't get stabbed, so obviously it worked out, but...
1: Yes, yes. it is can only be developed and nurtured through experience. That's the only way. And so the more familiar and comfortable you become, trusting your intuition or your gut, and you see how things work out, you know the feeling when you have it. And it's really that simple. Like it's difficult, but it really is that simple. When you get to know how you feel and what your gut is saying in those moments it becomes a lot easier to navigate your life with literally every decision from the house you're going to buy yep. to the car you're going to drive to the job you're going to take to the hockey team you're going to join to <laughs> the, you know the next business decision that you're going to make
0: yeah and it's now where do you feel that intuition I'm, I'm trying to think about it now and like they say it's the gut and like the gut apparently has more neurons in it than the brain i didn't so it's like a brain in your stomach <laughs> I don't know, a brain in your, in your intestines. You know what I'm saying? Like where to you, like where if people want to start listening to that intuition, where can they find it? Like, where does it in your mind, where does it live?
1: That's so, that's such a great question. For me, it is, it's a full body experience, but definitely in the gut area. And I can almost hear the voice in my head. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's God's voice or my voice, but I feel like there's a voice that says, uh, no. <laughs> and I'm like, but why? This for, is such an exciting opportunity. But look at this for all these reasons. You really should do this. But I still feel like it's still a no. And I feel yucky. It's a yuck, yucky feeling.
0: A repulsion.
1: Yeah, like a sick a sick butterfly, sick stomach feeling. I think that a lot of us feel when we know like something is just not right about this situation or that person Hmm. and it gets stronger the more you pay attention. And that's what we have to do. We just have to stop and pay attention and sit with it.
0: I think that's it. It's interesting what you're saying is that you, you, you see it or you're, you're giving an example where your intuition is telling you to not do something. But when you, when your intuition tells you positively to act, is it a different voice? Like not yuck, but yum, I guess.
1: It's definitely, it's a peace feeling. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a peace comes over me and it's a, and I guess the feeling would be very calm, still, Mm -hmm. like this still feeling where even though logically or even emotionally, it might feel like a really terrifying decision to make there's you know i can't really predict an outcome in a situation but i feel a peace about it mm-hmm. then i know that it's right so for example i signed the lease for our second location for the grief and trauma healing center about a week ago nice it's a very exciting and exhilarating experience but also terrifying because this is the first time we've opened a second location we've never done this before it's sure. a lot of money there's a big investment but i really i prayed about this for weeks i've been praying about it for a year actually and I really felt like everything was aligned. Nothing felt forced. Nothing felt coerced or manipulated. And I felt like God was saying, "Sign that damn lease. <laughs> Sign it." And I heard, "Remember all the other times I was there to support you, and you were scared, and you made that decision, and look where it's brought you. Look how it's, how it's allowed your business to grow. Like I'm not going to take you this far to only take you this far. We're going." We're going, and and that was when I was like, I'm signing the damn lease, and it was like a Friday night at like five o'clock. I was nice. at the park with my son. Okay, and I signed it, and that was it.
0: Well, congratulations, first of all, but Thank al- you. But also, congratulations for whatever this is you're talking about. It now it's interesting, and I, I I don't I would never ask someone to question their faith on this show on my behalf, but I am curious. Your relationship with God that you're saying, maybe that is God speaking to you. And I'm saying, well, maybe it's just uh, whatever millions of years of evolution in action, or maybe it's both. Do you ever think about that? Like what, what is, what is God then? How's that for a question?
1: <laughs> That's a great question. And my response is no, I've actually never had that thought. Interesting. Um, I think. I think just my journey with God has evolved and grown so much and what I've been through this last couple of years, especially in my business and it's just a lot of transition that I went through, he's just repeatedly shown me how he's always working for my good. And I think it's like, again, like spiritually, it's one of those things that you can't really grasp or explain in words it's a feeling and it's a knowing and it's an experience that I have and I don't question it. And I really do feel like it's a part of who I am and Mm. it's a fundamental way that I live. And you know, my hope is that every person can find that thing.
0: Well, that's, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure what to say about that. I mean, That's true faith, isn't it? When you, when you've, when you've just stopped and said, I've never questioned it.
1: Yes, exactly. That whole idea of walking by faith and not by sight and this idea of surrender, surrender can look like many things. And for me, it is okay, God, I'm giving this to you. I have no idea what's happening here or what I'm going to do or how I'm going to address this, but I trust you to guide me and lead me. And he does every single time. So I have this evidence that I can look back at and say, wow, look at how every single horrible experience has been used for my good and has shaped me and shaped my character and prepared me for this moment, prepared me for the next season in life. And so now I, I actually don't even question when I go through a hard season because I'm like, I always come out stronger when I go through something hard. And I, I don't worry about it anymore. Like that for me is true faith and surrender and peace and contentment that like, whether I have a lot or a little, or it's good or bad, I know that I have God.
0: Now I like a lot of that. I I like a lot of that. I I have no words really. I mean, we've gone pretty much to the end of the, (laughs) the end of the, the line. You know what I mean? With what we're talking about here, but it's existential I think. I guess what I would say is that where you are, and you're you're using language to talk about it, but it's almost like language doesn't do, you know. And I, I almost wonder if we're not saying the same things, or I, if we don't think the same. And I'm not, again, I'm not telling you that your representation of God is untrue, but I just feel like it does cease to be captured by language and. I would just, I wish that other people, and maybe you see this in your practice at at your business where it's like people come to that place of a wholeness, right? Where an acceptance of being part of something rather than being uh, like a link in the chain, but rather being the chain. You know what I mean?
1: Sorry, Patrick, you lost me there.
0: (laughs) I'm good. I'm good at that.
1: That was like too big. That was too expensive for my brain to process.
0: Well, that's well, Hey, we did it. I can, I can finally stop this stupid podcast. <laughs> I broke somebody. I guess maybe let's take it home then and go back to the grief and trauma healing center to sort of wrap. And zoom is going to kick me out in six minutes. So keep it short. No, I, hey. I, I I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Um, I guess what I'm asking for is what is the what is the final phase when you when someone stops coming to you? Where is that place that you take them?
1: When a person feels like they have completed what's unfinished in their relationship that ended or changed due to death, divorce or any other experience that they feel comfortable moving forward in their life? equipped with a set of tools Mm. to continue to grieve in a healthy way and to be able to address future losses. Mm. We want our clients to feel equipped to move forward and not have to sit on our couch for the next 25 years. So when they feel empowered and they feel like they have emotional stability in their life and they're feeling excited about their future, Mm. that's usually when we know they're ready to move forward.
0: That's awesome. And I wonder, so I guess to try and get back to what I was saying, is it, because if you look at it as a loss, obviously, is it sort of taking them back to a place of wholeness?
1: Yes, absolutely. And nurturing those parts of themselves that maybe they just didn't have the tools to nurture, or maybe they've neglected for a long time. And really just exactly that reconnecting to themselves and hopefully, walking away with a greater purpose for their life.
0: Wonderful. Now, if I am grieving or I've been traumatized, which is probably the, the case for me, but where would I? Well, it is for sure. But where, where would I go to get in touch with you and to start kind of getting some help from you or to or to talk to you guys?
1: You can head over to the website healmyheart.ca. You can also follow us on Instagram at grief and trauma healing center. You'll also find us on Facebook, The Grief and Trauma Healing Center, and of course you can give us a call 780-288-8011.
0: Beautiful. There's a ton of skilled professionals who are going to manipulate your eyes to make you to make you whole again, I guess, but and, and many other methods, of course. Um Ashley, thanks so much. Please stay on the line for the last 4 minutes of this Zoom call, but thank you so much for for shining some light on on all these topics, truly, and, and sharing so frankly.
1: Thank you so much, Patrick. This was really an amazing conversation. I'm really excited to share this with your listeners.
0: Well, listeners be damned. I think that was a great time that we just had just for us. So if anyone gets anything out of it, sure, that would be nice too.
1: Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much.
0: Have a great day, Ashley, and enjoy the weather. Get out for, I don't know, a run with the, with your son or whatever you want to do. Enjoy it.
1: Thank you. You as well.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Bank Media Podcast. Please subscribe to the show on your platform of choice and leave a review. Also, make sure you find us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, all at North Bank Media Podcast. And if you yourself have a story about how you became or are becoming yourself, finding purpose, finding meaning in how you live your life and in what you do, Reach out to us. We'd love to hear your story and talk with you on the show. I'm Patrick Strevens, and until next time, thank you again for watching.